Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and I am sitting in my podcast room, and the squirrels at back are having a bit of a fuss. I'm not sure if they're going to interrupt us or not, but they seem to be very unhappy with each other, and that actually is what I wanted to talk to y'all about today. Well, not really, but it's my segue, so... Y'all, I have been watching Alone, that History Channel show that I do love and my partner loves, and I think what we love about it is seeing what people are made of when they don't have a lot left, you know, in the world. And, well, my partner is a bushcrafter, and so it's always fun to see what we can do, things I didn't know, like that you could eat a white pine, (laughs) you know. Or all the different methods of fishing, things like that. It's it's cool. I love watching it. However, I am in a deep need for a break right now. And the reason, well, it's quite inconvenient. And it gets into that whole thing about me and the accusation that's been <laughs> hurled at me over the years of being a purist. And I suppose I might be. But what I think folks are saying when they accuse me of being a purist is that I hold a little too hard to certain pagan principles. Or I suppose what I consider to be pagan principles. And I've decided to talk about it. I hope it's okay to talk about. You know, it's my understanding that if you are on a show of any ilk where the, um, the main purpose is to earn or win money. That the things that you are doing out there in the wild are not necessarily the same they would be if you were actually trying to survive. And for me, that's a no-brainer. So if we were actually stuck somewhere, what we might consider doing to survive, we would balance that out against our choices. But when we're trying to win money, I'm not sure that works out to be the same. You know, just recently we watched an old episode and uh, there was a snare put up for squirrel, for anything, honestly, but it turned out to be a squirrel. And the snare caught a baby squirrel and the mother screamed and screamed and screamed. It was absolutely horrifying. And if you don't watch alone, don't. Don't go look it up. It's, it's very painful to watch. And all I could keep on thinking is every time someone would say, I have to do this, I'm trying to survive, the next thought in my head is, okay, well, that's not very honest. The thing I scream at the television, y'all, is no, you fucking don't. You have a button. You can push it. And the more I think about that, the more I think I want to talk about pagan ethics and our disruption of the natural world. You know, when I was talking to Kanani last week, 
and we were talking about, you know, humans and their interaction with the world, one of the things I wanted to say and did say is that humans are inherently selfish and we are. I'm sorry, we are. And almost every time I've been accused of being a purist, it's because of that refusal to be that way. It's because of that. Now, I still fall victim to it all the time, almost every day. But recently, I was talking to one of my kids, and and it turned out that I feel that at the end of the day, if we are at least aware of our selfish nature, if we are aware of our colonizing bullshit at the end of the day, it, it could matter a little bit. I mean recognizing who we are and what we do to tear the earth to shit and back, isn't that the first step, really? I mean, it may not lead to another step, but I mean, it's a critical step. So, yeah, I do think about that, and I think about it a lot. I've talked to y'all before about the things that worry me. You know, we have a, um, a septic tank. There was nothing else we could do out here in the country. We have a septic tank. And that means that all of our processes, our waste and cleaning processes that happen within our home are automatically dispersed along our land. If you don't have a septic system, then you wouldn't understand the next thing I say, but it's easy to look up. There are field lines that reach away from that and further discard anything that's overflow. In our case, that is the woods. And I suppose the only other choice we would have had would have been to not have running water in our home. Pretty much that would have been it. And don't think I didn't look into that. And while I believe there's a balance to be made here, I wanted <laughs> wanted running water into our home. And so the compromises I made were about what waste products I put into that septic tank that were going to go to all of our dogwoods and our oaks and our ponds. And that did matter to me. And it is inconvenient as hell, y'all. It is inconvenient as hell to consider these moments, these uh, processes. Once you start digging in, I guess a lot of people don't want to do it because it's like, well, where does it all end? Well, it doesn't end. It's a daily balance thing that we worry about. But I think at the very least, we could be concerned with it. You know, what we're doing to the earth, we should at least care a little as witches and say, well, I care a lot because I'm a big bleeding damn heart. (laughs) Um, and I've told y'all before, this does mean that we don't use, you know, a lot of chemicals that we would normally do while bleach in and of itself is not, you know, the worst chemical to use. It is decimating to a forest. And so I have nothing white anymore. I do love a pretty white shirt, but it comes at a cost I can't afford or at least uh, a cost that my land can't afford. I know that what I'm talking about is a contentious thing in pagan communities. I know it is a not popular opinion. And I'm not, you know, some kind of new age hippie. I'm not. I wish I was. I'm not. 
But the deeper I've gone into my craft, the less able I am to ignore my impact, especially out here on this tiny little patch of heaven. I cannot ignore it. I'll tell y'all a little story. I wrote about it a long time underneath my government name, but and it may not matter to you, but it mattered to me. In the middle of us going organic and uh, also working on certified natural processes, I had a pool. It was one of those redneck above ground pools, and I'm going to have one again. We're going to talk about what kind. But this one was, you know, it had that filter and you had to put a lot of chlorine tabs in there. And at the end of the year, it's a long time ago, I let it just sit fallow and didn't put anything in it, didn't cover it and let it just be what it was. Well, what the natural environment wanted it to be (laughs) when it looked around and saw my ass was missing was a pond. Oh, and we loved that over the fall. We loved it, you know, before any freezes ever showed up. I remember all of us, witches and pagans, sitting around outside around a fire and listening to the croak of toads and frogs and all the wildlife that had decided, hey, look at this shit underneath a pear tree. Isn't this awesome? But it hadn't been treated in a long time and little algae had started to grow and it was alive with life. It was wonderful. So when spring rolled back around, y'all, I said, well, I want my pool back. And so I went out there and I looked and I made sure I thought it's a painful memory for me. I thought that we had scooped all frogs out of there. And it had those walls that kind of divvied in, you know, little bumps and grooves. And so I didn't see anything else in there. I thought we were good to go. The fall before, my partner had made this cute little float. It was a little like one that could hold uh, a margarita, (laughs) you know. And he put a solar light on it so it could float around. We could tell where it was. We left it there all fall, and there was no hard freeze that fall either, so it was still there. At Samhain, we heard this deep, deep, um, well, it sounded like a bull, (laughs) and it was one. It was the largest bullfrog I'd ever seen in my entire life. Damn, if that thing didn't look like it was at least a foot or more. His legs went way out behind him. He would get up on that float and just enjoy, you know, and talk to us. And we went out there, you know, a little high on wine or what may have you, and look at him. He'd jump down into the water, wait for us to walk away, and then come back and sing his songs. And he lived there all that winter. I know that he felt that he finally had the best living situation he had ever had out here on this property. And so that spring, I looked as hard as I could, I thought, and pulled any little frog friends out of there, didn't see any tadpoles, and I was pretty sure I was good to go before we shocked the pool. And to shock a pool, you pour bleach into that son of a bitch, and that is what we did. And I came out there the next morning, and my beautiful, beautiful friend 
over a foot long in length. He was so beautiful, was floating belly up in that pool. Now, I'll never know, was he hiding in a crevice? Was he hiding in a corner? Or did he just run when we came out there to clean it and jump back into what he thought was his home to be poisoned and die? Oh, I know what you're thinking. But we deserve pools <laughs> and the ease of use and we deserve bleach and we deserve white things and we deserve all of these things. I would rather not think about the impact. Hmm. That's not good enough for me. I grieved my friend for quite a long time. In fact, I couldn't get into the pool that year. And by the end of the year, I let that pool die. I let it fall apart. I didn't fix it anymore. I didn't yet know that you can have these um, sand filters, that there were other ways to go. I do now. And that will be what we do if we ever do another pool. And I'd love to have another pool. I just don't ever want to do that to another creature. That's a very convenient choice for me to make to put up a pool and throw chlorine into it and other chemicals. And it's a very convenient choice for me to do a lot of things on this property. The inconvenient choices, you know, the ones where we clean up our mess and care about our runoff and limit the use of anything that would kill anything in our environment at all, that's inconvenient. I hope y'all are hearing me. Inconvenient. Isn't it lovely to have choices? <laughs> because I'm fairly sure that my turtle population, my owl population, my frog population, the wild hares on the land, the deer, the pollinators, the snakes, the lizards, all of it, I'm fairly sure they don't have these kinds of choices. And I'm fairly sure that as a witch, I should give a shit. Especially, sorry for the anger in my voice, I'll calm down. Especially if I want to work with animal spirit, like so many of us do. We, we, we work with these animal spirits, right? You know somebody who does it. Working with snake, y'all working with frog, even, working with deer spirit. Um, the buck who loves to walk my land, so therefore any kind of like horned god spirit, working with these kinds of energies, I don't think they have the same choices we do. And I don't think that that's fair, nor conducive to a very witchy life. While we're on the subject of inconvenience, I reckon if we look at most of our processes that we go through on a daily basis, most of them are about that. Most of them are about, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I need to mow my yard. Um, I'm afraid of snakes. Or a squirrel is decimating my little tiny patch of garden I could go on and on. It's all about convenience, really, at the end of the day, isn't it? I will tell y'all that the more that I work with these things that already live here, 
I call them things. I didn't mean to do that. Creatures, really. If I'm working with them, I don't know. I can't prove anything. What I can tell y'all, it balances out. We don't kill our squirrels. They take a few of our mushrooms every year. They do. We let them. (laughs) I've seen a squirrel hold a shiitake mushroom in its tiny paws and close its eyes as if it is holding it in prayer. So thankful for this damn mushroom. Uh All right, y'all, I was interrupted by something shaking all of my desk. (laughs) I don't know if it came across on the recording yet, and I don't know if I'm going to leave this in, but wow. Okay, anyway, I watched this squirrel pray in thankfulness over that one damn shiitake. I don't have to trap it. I don't have to kill it. I can let it have one or two of the fruit of that woods that I'm encroaching upon. And somewhere in the middle of all that is balance, y'all. Okay, y'all. I did take a break and listen to that, and that was fun, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I, um, don't know what to say. When I was much younger, I've had everything from a bed shaking and waking me up to things literally falling off the shelf. It is a normal thing in my life, but I've never had it on a recording before. So there we have it. Do with that what you will. Moving on, y'all. I'm a little shook from (laughs) listening to the recording because like I like to tell myself I imagined something and then I heard it. Nope, nope, that really happened. But where was I? I was at that inconvenient place, wasn't I? Now, I don't know about other witches, but to me, to live a fully magical life, to be connected in that deepest sense, including to the spirits of my home, apparently, I have to consider everything all the time. And does that mean more work? Yeah, yeah, it does. And does that mean that the craft that I enact is a little bit more, um, I don't know, visceral? You can feel it. Yes, that is the truth of that. Yes, it does. The more I feel that I put into my craft, the more I honor the land spirits and work on the deepest possible level in my craft, the more effective it is. So, you know, while I know a lot of folks won't do anything unless they can see some sort of benefit for them, this is the benefit. This is the payoff is that you can actually do more and be more effective all around. Y'all, I took my farming, if that's what we're still going to call it, up a step this year. What I usually do, of course, is anybody I plant, and I do only plants from seed because I want to be involved in that process, but anyone who goes into the ground, 
Well, they get talked to, they get sung to, they get my fullest attention. But because we had a really shit year in 2022, and because this year started so late, we had a freeze so late, I was concerned that they wouldn't have enough love. And so one of the processes that went into my planting this year was a bit of a ritual. And I spoke to every one of them. I talked to them about their roots and what they needed to do. These particular plants were eased into the ground in a way that I've never done before, ever. So much was riding on them, you know. And I now have an issue. (laughs) Oh, and it is also inconvenient. Um, My pepper plants are five and six feet tall. I have not over-fertilized. I do know what I'm doing. I have not changed anything, really, about my my soil processes. We have rabbit scat out there, fully organic. And a very low fertilizer that's been amended into that soil, very low, a 555. If you don't know what that is, you should definitely look that up. We do need to keep those numbers a little low. So the only difference was that ritual, was the, I guess, individualization of each planting. And I know that some of my ancestors did this work where... Every planting had a certain amount of beads and um, a bit of a walk around. I'm not going to get into it because I do believe it is protected knowledge and I don't want that to be occulturized in any way. So this, this was very specific to this planting. And now I have had to order <laughs> six foot tall stakes to go in the ground to hold them up. And there is food, there is fruit, there are peppers from the base of the stalk all the way up. It's a little overwhelming, quite honestly. And uh, I'm very grateful. But I've had this problem in the past. I've had the problem of, of them going way too big and way too tall on this little magical spot of land. And y'all, I don't protect it from much of anything, Oh, you know, I'll get out there and I'll pull the hornworms off. And I do that at least once a day. Um, They will just decimate a crop. And they go to my chickens who have a party with that. But really past that, I use companion planting. And I do natural organic processes that, you know, even organic processes can be harmful. So very, I suppose, in tandem processes, you know. If a plant can help keep aphids off, if it can help keep um, whatever kind of pest off, that is what goes underneath my okra. That is what goes underneath my tomatoes. So I plant my basil with my tomatoes and my peppers and chamomile. And I'm doing all this companion, I guess, cooperative homesteading sort of method that tends to keep everything in balance. I can handle whatever issue arises, and it will arise. It will. So while it's a little bit inconvenient, it is also better in the long run. And I feel that I'm part of that process. 
So these little inconveniences, you know, allowing the deer to have their their fill, um, allowing the wild rabbits to have a little bit of the salad that's laying about, allowing the birds to take the whole top off of my mulberry and my elderberry, just getting into that heartbeat of the land and understanding that that's sacrifice. And as which as we understand that a sacrifice is almost always necessary. Give back the land what it is due. And that often means feeding the creatures that live upon it. That are keeping that balance. Y'all know I'm going to say something shocking to y'all. I have learned to respect my wasp population. Mm-hmm. Yep. You see those memes on Facebook where they're laughing and talking about wasp and how they're just um, kind of a shit insect that we should get rid of them altogether. What do they even do? Well, (laughs) I'll tell you what they're doing. They are pollinating so many of my peppers and my tomatoes. They are so busy out there. And it's, it's hard to believe, you know, if you just take the time to be still not scream and run and kind of stand back a little because, you know, they are still wasp and watch them go flower to flower. Um, well, that's when I understand, you know, we can work together a little bit here. Well, I located their little nest. I have found it. It is in the corner of the high tunnel. And I don't blame them. That's where a lot of things live over when around here. And I just avoid that corner (laughs) altogether. Now, if I were allergic, I don't think I'd be so cool about the whole thing. But I'm not. And, you know, knock on wood, that was not my desk shaking that time. Knock on wood, I have not been bitten in years and years. But we must remember that even the darker little creatures, even the snakes, even the things that we fear, do belong here. They do. And they are wholeheartedly inconvenient. Y'all, I know you know, I've talked about it in the past, that I do a lot of spider magic. Spider magic just um, speaks to me. One of these days, I'll... Consider doing a book on it. I'm a little overwhelmed right now with work, but it makes a lot of sense to me. My bones, my witch bones understand spider magic. And um, a few days ago, I just rededicated myself a bit to that flavor, if you will, <laughs> of witchcraft. I noticed that my garden orb weavers had been a little bit slow this year to build their webs. And are a whole lot smaller than they usually are by June. And that's probably a function of how cold it was in May, which is insane. Climate change is real, y'all. But I also do love funnel spiders. I don't know what it is about them, but I'm just crazy about them. I I just love them. There was one a long time ago that lived right by my front stoop, and I would sit there in the afternoon with a glass of wine. And smoke funny things. And she would just sit beside me. Her funnel kind of went from the beginning of the door frame 
about a, you know, I guess uh, six inches maybe out and aligned perfectly with where I sat. And I would look at her, she'd look at me and we just hang out and <laughs> enjoy the day. And there's something about her solitary life that I think we miss. Anyway, what I love most about funnel spiders are their capacity to wait, to wait and wait until the time is right. It's almost difficult to watch. <laughs> if you've ever had one on your porch or anywhere close by, it's difficult because you, you know what's going to happen. They run extraordinarily quickly when they're ready, grab what they need and go back. So when one appeared <laughs> in my living room, of all things, and I was a little concerned for it, I was thinking, okay, well, let's, let's backtrack. First, I went, oh, shit. <laughs> Here's this funnel spider in my living room in the top corner over a window. Yikes. And then the next thing that happened in my body was, oh, no there might not be enough for her to live. And then I watched one of those little tiny moths that get into your house all the time, and it went right to the edge. She ran out, grabbed him, disappeared from view. So I thought, well, natural pest control. <laughs> I've warned y'all before, you would not necessarily want to be in my house if you are afraid of spiders, I let them live. I have moved some so that it is a little bit more convenient for me, but I don't tend to remove them altogether. So when I saw her, I thought, yeah, because I just started working on this new spider weaving magic thing I'm into that I can't talk about. I'm working on that balance in my own life. I'm working on, I don't know, accepting my ecology, where I sit, where I am, and making the best out of that, if that is even possible. And uh, yeah, I think I get it. I think I understand why I needed to see, I mean, not that I would ever walk away from my orb weavers because they mean so much to me, but why I needed to see a different kind of magic, the one that involves the long wait with a very decided goal. And y'all, she is inconvenient. I was just thinking about repainting that entire whole wall. But it can wait. It really can. It can wait till spring. I've got a lot I need to get done right now. And uh, I do have a long wait on a project I'm building slowly. So, inconvenient or not... It just feels right to leave her where she is. And that's sort of the trick to being a spotter, y'all. Making do. Making use of everything around you so that you can thrive. But I've noticed that most of the spotters that I've had a relationship with, and that is what I said, I'm a weird witch, they're cooperating with everything around them. It's not a colonization. It's not a takeover. It's very much working with what they have to make a dream come true. And for them, that's a meal. <laughs> and for me, that's, I think, a more creative and better life. And that is what I'm striving for. 
So, she stays. I am going to keep a very strong lookout for that egg sac, and they only live about a year. Sometimes longer if it's warm, so where she is, uh, it could be a minute. And I'm going to carefully detach her situation (laughs) before spring when she passes away and put her in a more, I suppose, um, prime location on the front porch. But until then, I'm going to learn from her. Y'all know I watch this show. There's this show on Netflix that I have found so comforting. I watch it almost every night before I fall asleep. I have gone through the entire series, I think, three different times. And I'm sure y'all are going to think I'm silly, but the name of it is Call the Midwife. It is the most comforting show in the world for me. It really is. But there's this uh, nun on there, Sister Julianne, who I have quite the crush on. And at one point, she says, you know, I've learned in my life that people do things out of only one of two impulses or emotions. And those emotions are usually based in either fear or love. And I couldn't agree more. It wasn't until I learned to love the things I was afraid of. It wasn't until then that I started to deepen in my magic. I got more brave altogether. Y'all, a huge thunderstorm has just kicked up, but I'm going to try to finish as quickly as I can. Choosing to work through my fear has deepened my skills as a witch. It has broadened my understanding of so much. If I hadn't been able to work through fear, I don't think I ever would have been in the woods that day that the stag showed up and uh, stared me down, and I'd never felt anything quite like that before. I don't think I would have ever seen a squirrel prey over a mushroom log. I don't think I would have ever understood that snakes are indeed critical to our environment and bring with them so many lessons about shedding your skin and starting again and change. I don't think I would have ever done half of the things I've done if I hadn't have put fear aside or, to be a little bit more specific, <laughs> ridden it like a horse through hell, y'all, and accepted it so I could get to the other end of that tunnel. I don't know if anything I'm saying makes any sense today, y'all, but nothing in the entire world is more inconvenient to me than missing those lessons. And so if that means that I have to get out of my comfort zone or let a spider live in my house or let the deer take my pears, whatever that means, so that I can find my own place and balance on this beautiful land, then um, uh, I'm willing to do it. It's a minor inconvenience. And after a while, it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels instead like opportunity. And so does this thunderstorm. So I've got work I got to do. I got to get out of here. Let me thank my patrons right quick. I want to do a shout out for Michelle, Emily, Sarah, and Christy. I believe I did Aaron last month. Let's go ahead and throw that in there. 
Y'all, thank you so much. You are keeping the podcast on the air quite literally. (laughs) And I hope you're enjoying the extra content and our Facebook group. If you'd like to join our Patreon, go to Patreon backslash Southern Fried Witch and see if a level works for you. Every single penny goes towards this podcast. All right, y'all. It's thundering and the wind is bending the trees and I've got magic to do. It's all in the balance, baby. Love y'all like chicken. Talk to you next week. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.